hello, hello. I hope everyone is feeling well. Feel free to grab water, coffee, there's donuts right over here. We're gonna set up for our next panel, so we'll give you our time to transition. So thank you so much. I look forward to today. We are pivoting a little, but we are going to get back on track. So you'll notice we have already asked our panelists to make sure they're keeping their responses in this to one to two minutes so that we can have time for audience questions. If you have a question, this is the panel that you are going to want to ask it. This is Essential Facts in Cannabis, and I am Brandy Hester. I am one of the founders of Entertaining and Elevating with Cannabis. My goal as an advocate, but also an educator, is to make sure that my community, the people that I see around me, that they're also recognizing the access to wealth, generational wealth, and the opportunities until education. So today we have an amazing panelist. We have Sharon, Rachel, and Elise. Their bios, if you click our QR code, which is right there, you'll find access to our booklet. On the booklet, we have the bios of our panelists so that you can get to know them. Follow them on social media, get their contact information, because these women right here are the women you need to know if you have an idea, if you want to move somewhere forward. So I'm going to dive in with our first question. Can and close this door before we get started? No problem. I'll take care of that. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> if you haven't already, share on Facebook, go live. This is a community event. This event is about how do we get access to our community? How do we make sure our community is having access to this information? So please share. So I am going to start first with Rachel. And Rachel, you are in our community. You are in our space. You you are in our home, and she is a lawyer, guys. And my first question to you as an essential facts panelist, why? Why do you feel a business will need you, a cannabis lawyer who's looking in this direction? Why would they need you? So it's a little funny. We're going to get there in a roundabout way. I'm going to start out with all the ways you don't need a lawyer. You can save some money first. How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so... Starting from the beginning, first and foremost, cannabis takes a team. But I don't need to tell anyone in, in this room that because in Rochester, the level of teamwork that I see is incredible. I mean, really, compared with the rest of the country, you all need to give yourself a pat on the back right now, okay? <laughs> so get that team together. I know you have it. You need people and professionals that you can trust. Before you start any enterprise, you want to have a complete understanding of why you want to do this. It's not just about the what, what you are doing. It's the why. The why is important because it provides this mission that you and your partners, your employees, your customers, and yes, even your lawyer is going to be following. So once you've established this, it creates a, a blueprint and this will highlight your strengths and your weaknesses, your resources, and also your gaps. This is where, looking at these gaps, you can 
first start to assess where you're going to need a lawyer or, or may want to speak with someone. But again, there are a lot of resources out there, so we'll, we'll start out with that. You know, the, the law plays into every aspect of running a business. You got some land, there are laws on it. Water, laws. Air, you guessed it, there are laws on that too. <laughs> but <laughs> you don't have to get discouraged. So in a lot of, of the initial aspects of setting up your business, that's where we can find these incredible resources that are affordable and even free. So for instance, did you know that you can start an LLC on your own? How many people knew that? All right, good. Okay, good start. <laughs> um, I get a lot of people who come to me and they want to know, you know, I, I went to LegalZoom or Rocket Lawyer or whatever crazy name they've got out there, and I got a quote for like 2000 5000 Does that sound reasonable to, to get my entity filed? To get it filed? No, no. They have a web page on the New York State website. Was it? It's... Um, dos.newyork.gov, write that down, and it has information on Hold how... Hold on, wait, repeat it again, Lord. I saw All people right. writing. Slow down, slow down. It's the educator in me. <laughs> okay, it's dos.ny.gov, and you're, you're going to want to go to this for so many different reasons, not just figuring out what type of entity you want to set up, but how you're going to do it, and all kinds of resources for getting that business started. So they also have um, essentially an online business incubator program called Business Express. So look for that on the state website too. That's going to give you a lot of those resources for setup. And reach out to people. When you go on these web pages, they have contact names and numbers for the type of people you're looking for. So, you know, technically, like with the state, for instance, they can't give you legal advice, but a lot of times you just want to figure out a process and you want to make sure you're doing it right. Do I want to form an LLC? Do I want to form a corporation? And sometimes you can figure that out just by reading descriptions. Look on the website give a call and make sure that you're following the process correctly for filing that entity. You know, getting your name, checking, seeing what's available out there in the state. Uh, are, are you filing your publication notice? You know, I'm using this example because it shows how many tools are out there that you can use before getting to a lawyer. And there are so many other resources out there. The IRS, they have a lot of great materials, you know, making sure once you file that entity, what kind of tax code do you need to follow? Uh, is it for your business? Is it for the property? Talk to an accountant. I have so many times when I say, you know, I, I can advise you on this, but quite honestly, your accountant is going to be familiar with some of these requirements. And I'll send them to an accountant first. In most cases, they're cheaper. <laughs> um, so again, look for, look for those business incubator programs. Now, we're not in New York City, but they're kind of an all-encompassing power. They have a great business incubator program online too. But also our library here in Rochester, I know we have some of those ladies, I think we're going to be speaking later. And quite honestly, the first time I heard them talking, I thought, wow, they're really good lawyers. They weren't. <laughs> and they're free. So go see them. Um, 
there are a bunch of other resources out there too. So for the conditional dispensary program, uh, if we're talking about the justice involved aspect and, and you need to figure out you know, how you're gonna meet that requirement or maybe you've got some issues with your record you need to resolve, go to legal aid. That's a nonprofit that can assist you before you go to that big, you know, like two-bit TV lawyer. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, uh, and I would also recommend online self-paced business programs. And it, it's great because, you know, there's a, there's a full range of them, but I will give you two examples of programs I've been to myself. I was working in a law firm and I went through two of these programs, was able to branch out on my own and start contracting services with other firms. And, you know, now I, I also work as a chief compliance officer for a licensed cultivation company, but it, it was taking those business programs that got me where I am today. So one that I would recommend is Sophia Amoruso's business class. I don't know if anyone's heard of the brand Nasty Gal, uh, owed to Betty Davis, rest in peace, one of my favorite artists. <laughs> so yeah, she has an incredible program with legal templates, guys. I know I'm like doing a disservice to lawyers here, <laughs> but... <laughs> Lawyers were involved in the making of these templates, so uh, you can go through the different portions of the class, learn every aspect of setting up your business, and this works for if you're setting up you know, a licensed uh, cannabis business or also an ancillary business, or maybe you want to do something outside of cannabis too. Start with one of these programs, and these legal templates in this course are incredible. I mean, she worked with a very expensive law firm to put these together for you, so utilize it. Uh, Nellie Galan is a, another entrepreneur who is big in, in the media business, and she has a book called Self Made. That's another really helpful one. It's going to help guide you through finances, which can be intimidating sometimes. Uh, she makes it fun and exciting and really helped motivate me. And she also has a website, what's it called? Self Made becomingselfmade.com, Nellie Galan. And she has a quote, like so, something like, if it's a uh, if, if it scares you, do it anyway. Come on. We can do this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, getting into the fun part, when might you want to talk to a lawyer? So traditionally, lawyers are involved with interpreting the law, understanding legal problems, conducting legal research. If you have something that makes your brain hurt and you've read it several times and it's still hurting, that's when you might want to talk to a lawyer. But... A you know, little pro tip, a lot of attorneys will have an initial consult with you for free. Sometimes you might just have one question and get it answered in there. So a lot of people, in, a lot of attorneys in this space, they're, they're getting active, they want to get involved, and they're being pretty nice about spending their time with you all. I did that for a while, and I still do it, and so they want that. Don't be afraid to reach out. So more specifically, areas like intellectual property, especially when we're talking about Canis and you've got that conflict with the Schedule One status, that's where it can get a little hairy and you want to protect what you're doing. So those courses, they'll lay the groundwork for you, but once you're starting to get operationalized, you might want to talk to an intellectual property attorney. Or if you have complex matters like environmental regulations, which is my background, I have times where I'm like, what the heck is going on? And you actually have to know a person in the department in cannabis to say, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so that's a time you might want to talk to an attorney. Uh, 
Um, and it's important to keep in mind, they are held to this high standard. So when, when you're working with them, even if things are a little complex and fuzzy, their license is on the line. So I know a number of attorneys, especially in cannabis, who are really making an effort to make their services affordable. You can find attorneys who have sliding scales, who have flat fees, and you can even find them on their website. I think that's a really good sign when you go on and you know maybe they're gonna form your entity and you need to figure out which kind and you need a little more help there. They've got that fee right online for you or you need to get your trademarks filed, things like that. Online, that's a good sign, <laughs> all right? So there are other ways that you can approach it too. You don't necessarily need to hire on a full team of lawyers or get that big retainer up front. I'm telling you, there are a lot of licensed attorneys out here who want to get a little creative. And that was myself um, a few years ago. You can bring someone onto your team like I'm doing. I'm a chief compliance officer right now. So it's a little different the way that I'm getting paid and it's benefiting me and it's benefiting the people that I'm working with. You can work with a consultant who is a licensed attorney, but maybe has more affordable services on the consulting side. So, you know, you want to make sure that you understand the difference, but there, are, there is a lot of work that you can do in preparation with a consultant who has that attorney brain, but you're not getting those prices. And that's nice, right? <laughs> so make sure to do research in, in looking into all of these options and make sure that you find someone who is truly immersing themselves in this space. Okay, there are a lot of professionals out there and I'm not trying to throw shade, but they're just slapping cannabis on their credentials and they have no idea what's going on. Or you've got some partners in a firm and think they're real smart. Oh, this will be good money. Let's get the uh, pot smoking associate out there to do some talks and make it look like we love cannabis. They don't. They don't understand it. So <laughs> make sure you find someone who can show some of those credentials. I'm not saying you have to say, what kind of strain do you like? What kind of devices do you use? Do you vape? Do you? No, I mean, you can ask those questions. I, I probably would. But <laughs> you want them to have some familiarity with it, okay? Even if they're not using those devices, if you're going to be, you want to make sure they understand what they are. So find people who are out in these community settings, who know people in the space, people you can vet through others. Do that due diligence first, but again, don't be afraid to just make that call and set up that initial consult because a lot of times it's free and they want to get out there. They want to have a little fun, so let's work together. And I'm saying this not as an advertisement for myself. Now, working full-time for a cultivation company, I'm so happy that I can help with all of these shortcuts so that you don't have to go to the big firms every single time. So anytime someone has a question on that, I'm always happy to help. Thank you so much. I think what I heard is resource, resource, resource. There are a lot of free resources that are out there. She gave you a list. We'll make sure that when we send the recap that you guys have access to the resources today. So know that this isn't the first time you'll hear it and it will not be the last time that you'll hear the resources. But that made me start thinking, Elise, can you tell the community, there are a lot of people who are like, I want to be in cannabis, but I'm not really sure what that is. I know we have licenses, but what are they? Can you talk a little bit from your perspective and from what is in the law about, like, what are the licenses and what can New Yorkers expect? Sure. Uh, show of hands, how many people are plant touching 
or proposed to be plant touching businesses. Plant touching business. Can you explain what that means just in case someone doesn't know? Sure. So plant touching means that you're going to be working with cannabis, right? So you're going to either be maybe a cultivator, a processor, distributor. Um, there's licenses for on-site social consumption. There's dispensaries. Uh, there's people who can do permits. So if you wanted to get into like catering for special events, um, there's micro grow. So say you want to do something and it's a small scale. Um, a lot of this is very much dependent upon the regulations, right? So Microgrows are going to be a very interesting license for people. Um, it could be up to 5,000 square feet of flowering canopy, which is a very nice size um, for somebody to kind of get started with if you don't have a lot of elevated capital to get going on, um, which we're going to see happening a lot right now. I mean, everybody's feeling it right now. Our inflation is brutal. And what was, you know, originally had a lot of influx of capital, a lot of people, you know, wanting to get into the cannabis space, what you're seeing more often than not right now is that financing is getting harder and harder to find. Um, how many people have tried to open bank accounts? Yeah. What's the, what's, how did it go? You didn't, got either, you didn't get any or you got one? You got one. That's good. Are you already in the business? Okay. So um, has anyone had trouble uh, being a pre-licensed business trying to get a bank? I got one shut down. You did, Mike? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, because you sell weed shirts, right? So that's like, um, when I first started out in my career, I was working for a company called Greenlight Law Group. It was out in Portland, Oregon. And um, I, we obviously Greenlight, like put off some, this is in 2016. So it was putting out some, uh, you know, alarms and we got kicked out of three banks in like a year. Um, and we were just a, a law firm who was, you know, accepting cannabis business as revenue. Um, we're seen in New York. So I work for a company that at the moment has a 12 acre greenhouse in Lewiston, New York. We got quoted from Dime Bank for 10 million to open up a pre-licensed bank account. Uh, that's in New York City, which was an absolute joke. We're like, thanks, hard pass. Um, <laughs> and so you kind of have to get creative. Now we operate on a in a consulting group that is not plant touching in order to have a bank account. Um, and so you have to get very creative right now in this process. So while New York is kind of slow, right, and you're like, oh, this is good, we're figuring it out, it's very difficult for people who are operators to figure out how to navigate this time period before we're able to apply. And there's a lot of uncertainty without regulations to say, how much capital can I take? Um, for somebody who might be in cultivation and you don't know canopy grows, you don't know if you're going to give up 49% of your company because you don't know how much startup you're going to need. Um, and that's really difficult. So as, you know, pre-licensed, and I apologize if I'm talking more to pre-licensed people than necessarily people already in the space or who are going for card or who have those conditional adult use licenses. But um, right now, a lot of the people who are looking for information are those who are wanting to expand upon and, and be part of the space. And it's very, very hard um, without that kind of supplemental knowledge on what type of business you're going to do, where you can have it, how much money you're going to need, how many employees you have. You know, you're putting a pro forma together and you don't have a clue. Mike and I were just talking about on-site consumption lounges. Now, that's a license that is very, you know, foreign to outside states. Um, Colorado just started getting it going in 2019. Massachusetts has this license. But you're not seeing public returns on on-site consumption lounges. So putting something together on how much it'll cost you to get it going is very difficult. And these are where you are right now. You want to make sure you're understanding your costs. And it was great that we're hearing about, like, how to mitigate some of those costs in the beginning because the last thing you want to do is be in August 
and you've already dropped 10K and we don't have regs. And you're like, what a, waste of, what a waste of money to start. You might be out of the game before it even started because you had too many upstart costs um, just to start. So um, I kind of, you know, I, I think it's important right now to take your time because New York State's taking their time. Try to mitigate as many costs as you can have. Keep going to these types of events where people are willing to speak on policy and on rules and regs and anything that's generally hopefully free information. And make sure you're working on like tackling a couple things, tackling who you want your team to be, uh, and not really you know talking about numbers yet, but looking at real estate, looking at license structures. Um, you know, are you going to be in retail or are you going to be in cultivation? Because you can't be in both, right? In New York State, you can't be vertically integrated. So maybe you want to have a cultivation site, processing site, and a distribution license for your own product. That's its own. That's its own little space. Maybe you want to be a retail store. You can have up to three locations. That's its own space. On-site consumption lounge, three locations. That's its other space. So really identifying where you'd like to tackle the market is very important right now. But take your time. Take your time on locations. Um, and once rules and regulations drop, don't forget we're going to have a lot of comment periods, 60-day comment periods, then a renewed 60-day comment period. Strong possibility if we get all of our rules and regs in August, you're not going to have an application window until the first of the, you know, January of next year based on all these revision processes. Um, so it's kind of, it's tough, right? We're all like, ugh, we're itching to get, to get going. But that's kind of ways you can enter into the market. I think that's important because a lot of people, they want to be in the market, and this is a scary time. So I want to name, for me, I'm seeing a lot of people doing things, and we see a lot of things that are also going to, in the long run, they say delayed gratification is sometimes frustrating. But a lot of things we're doing right now might impact the ability to get your license later. So it's important for us to have this conversation so that we're not going to a pop-up and selling something that we're not supposed to do. We're not doing this, and I'm speaking on behalf of myself, so let me name that. Not in, in, <laughs> so you should do whatever you want to do, but understand how it will impact you in the long run. Is it about wealth now, or it is about generational wealth? What does that look like for generations? Is it that... You could wait six months, and you said something that was important to me, commenting period. She's like, what is a commenting period? So when you put a comment on a policy, that is where they're posting the policy online. You're able to review it, and maybe you want some tweaks. Maybe you see something that is missing. Maybe the language is ambiguous. What does this mean? I read this three times, and I still, well, all, I don't understand it. Let me write a comment, because you want to make sure that we can sit at the table and understand what's going on. But if we're not reading it, you're not writing any comments, and then when it comes out, you're frustrated. We can't be frustrated but not sit at the table. So I say this in a response but also a call of action to my own community that even though it's long, the delayed gratification of making sure we have a voice requires us to comment requires us to be a part of this conversation. Sharon, that brings me to this. You have been in cannabis for a very long time and understand the plant, but have so many different avenues and you see how hard it is to expand a brand, a business and community outreach. When it comes to equity, why do you think it's important for black and brown businesses to exist in cannabis? And what do we need to do for that to happen? 
Um, yeah, and I like to say a long time in uh, cannabis is like dog years. So uh, <laughs> say that again. <laughs> so like you know, so when she says it's a long time, that's why it's a long, long time. You know, uh, a lot of my my background and work comes out of activism. Uh, active, activism around uh, hatred, activism around political prisoners, activism around veganism. And so um, for me, looking at this whole world of cannabis, um, I mean, it came mm -hmm. out of social justice. Like this is the civil rights agenda of this century mm -hmm. and so for young people and you know for families and communities it's something that we have to fight for we have to fight for that equity you know i like to talk about the the, the three r's and the c you know starting off with research uh you know research this industry and also look at to see what the history of it is this industry has had a very biased and racist inception, to say the least. And so when we talk about equity, I don't think that there are that many industries, I don't know if there are any industries that started off the way that this one did. Mm. When you look at uh, Harry Anslinger and the things that he said about Mexicans, Filipinos, and Negroes. So, I mean, it makes you sick to the stomach. Uh -huh. And so now we're at a time where people can wear a suit and a briefcase full of money, and those people who are still incarcerated are net, not able to take part in it. And so when I say research, you need to look at the history of this. Um, and then respect, respect those people who this industry has have been built off of. And most importantly, we also want to respect them, respect their industry knowledge. We had the, um, the city council person, I think it was uh, Patterson, that talked about, you know, going from, um, from the corner to the retail. Why? Because while everybody else was around in secrecy, they were keeping this industry alive. And if it wasn't for that unregulated market, we would not have a regulated market mm -hmm. right now. <laughs> so we have to respect them, you know, so we have to respect them. And then, you know, and then that C is centering. Personally, I don't think that we should be having any conversations in cannabis without centering the people who have been impacted the most. Mm -hmm. And when you look at this industry, you would think that, you know, you would just think that, it, it, that there was no uh, beginning to this industry. And so, you know, when we look at, uh, at equity, I'm coming from Pennsylvania, by the way. So I don't know, I, knew, I do know some um, things about New York, but I want to speak to Pennsylvania. So we are advocating for a local, equitable economy in our state. Right now, <laughs> they did the Houdini on us. We only have medical, which is not bad, 
But what's bad is like we have no local ownership in Pennsylvania. We only have multi-state operators. Yeah. And so now we have a campaign called P3, which stands for Pot Profits for Pennsylvanians. Because what that means is that the money that is made in our state, it will go to our people in Pennsylvania. I also live, Pennsylvania is one of the four commonwealth states in this country, which commonwealth and state kind of don't go together. You know, it's like an oxymoron. <laughs> but, you know, we're a commonwealth along with Kentucky, Virginia, and I think um, Rhode Island. And that means that I can't vote for legalization in my state. I can vote for the person who I expect to represent me and what it is that, uh, that we want, which is an equitable policy. Um, and so that's one of the things that we have done in Pennsylvania is that we have uh, worked with legislators. So as we talk about creating an, an equitable space, uh, and I appreciate starting off with the legislators, those are the people that we have to start with. Because otherwise, we're looking at something that, like, what happened in, in D.C. in, what was that, February the 9th? Like, and nobody, I'm pretty sure, is, is really willing to do that. So we have to work with our legislators. So I saw that uh, Rock Normal has the voter registration. I don't do anything without voter registrations on my table. Again, I live in the Commonwealth, and I expect for them to speak for us. And so we have to have those relationships. So if we're talking about equity. The only way that we're going to get equity is what you all have done in, these, in, um, in New York, which is to work with your legislators, which is to work with each other, because uh, what one person wants in one county is going to be different from what somebody else wants. And, it, and I know New York was not overnight. And these are the things that we have to continue to do as a collective and as, as the caretakers now. That's what we all are. We are caretakers of this plant, which is only going to benefit us and the rest of the world and the planet. This is a global thing. This is not just a New York thing or a Pennsylvania thing. The same things that we're talking about now are the same things that they're talking about in Jamaica, the same things they're talking about in Ghana. So we want to make sure that we continue to have these conversations. And I heard it over and over again, come to things like this, meet people, connect, and, uh, and let's continue to advocate and center those people so that we can have a more equitable um, policy in, in cannabis. Thank you so much, Sharon. And that goes back to cannabis is the flower that brings us together. We are here today because of cannabis. We are networking and connecting. Thank you all for beginning this conversation of essential facts. I'm going to open the floor. We have experts here that can answer the questions regardless of where you are. So if you have a question, feel free to come stand up. You can raise your hand. I can bring a mic or you if you're loud enough, you can ask it in this space. So I'm going to open it up for questions. I have about five minutes, so I want to open it and up for questions. And while you're opening that floor, you know, I one of the things that I started off by saying is like I, my, my world came from activism. Um, and one of the, the books that kind of connected that 
for me was called the new Jim Crow. Has anybody read or heard of the new Jim Crow? If you are in cannabis and if you are in this room, write that down. The new Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander. Because like I said, there I don't think there's any industry that has targeted um, a group of people like cannabis has. And her books describes that going from the, the Jim Crow to the uh, criminal um, injustice complex that we're dealing with now. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Sharon. And again, we will put all of these resources in recap. So if you are not catching it with your pen, I saw pens moving aggressively. So please know we will link in the books so that you can get this because this information is power. It is free. Our sponsors, thank you so much for being our sponsors. We couldn't be here if it wasn't for sponsors because every event I have been to has cost between $75 and $250 in cannabis to get information. So because of our sponsors, we are able to make sure this event is free for our community. So I thank you. We're going to open it up for questions. Feel free to stand up. And I will repeat it because the feedback is the best direction he's at. Do we have any no questions keys. at this time? So I am always arguing for more mixed-use spaces in general. I want to have a return to communities. And, and if you look into some of the work that's being done on smart growth, it talks about why this is really important for sustainability and for revitalizing communities. So that, that's the starting point for me. So make sure to tell your planners and your local city representatives we need more of that in general. Mixed use means that uh, when you have a community, the way that it's set up in, in most areas is that they divide uses. So you'll have a residential district, you'll have a commercial district, an industrial district where a lot of times, look at the history of environmental justice, they put a lot of black and brown communities in industrial areas living. Zoning has gotten very screwed up. Um, I could talk on that all day, but for what Mike is talking about, mixed use is where you're having residential spaces in there, maybe some apartments, um, multifamily housing, and then you're having a storefront. You might have some light industrial commercial uses existing in the same space. And we have a lot of regulations to figure out how to do that safely. And the reason why I'm addressing that is because we don't have clear answers yet in a lot of communities for how they are going about this. So that's why we're going to get educated and we're going to take that to these communities so they understand how to do this properly. And I do think that, you know, for lounges, for instance, I'm, I'm so excited about what you guys are doing. We have technologies to take care of odor issues. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And as Elise said, you know, it hasn't been a huge hit in other states because they've been figuring it out, but we're getting there. And we need to talk about that stigma. When, when people smell that odor, they think the freaking world's going to fall apart. It's not, okay? <laughs> You're going to relax more, believe me. So 
just even talking about stigma needs to come into conversations about zoning. And so I'm so glad that you brought up mixed use because uh, I, I think it was um, Damian Fagan brought up this point about a lot of people who've been operating in legacy, they're doing this from their home. And that is one of the biggest initial challenges in figuring out how you're going to now operate in a legal market because it, they're creating this distinct line between residential spaces and commercial or industrial. Let's figure out a way to utilize more mixed use spaces so that it becomes easier. Maybe someone already has a property in their community, they have a relationship with the, the building owner, and it'll be very easy for them to now set up into a lounge um, or, or have a micro business and they can have some of the product that they've been perfecting and cultivating for so many years. I cannot say enough, mixed use, mixed use. And uh, it's really important to reach out to your municipalities, go to your public meetings, find out what's on the agenda, and get these issues on the agenda if they're not talking about it. In California, I think currently, we're still at a ban of about 70% uh, of city or local municipalities are banning retail sales. We talk about the taxes a lot. <laughs> and. Uh, that's also an issue if you just can't even sell there. So in New York State, uh, although I'm, I'm happy to see that there were many communities that opted in, there were many that opted out. And for lounges, they're, they're still trying to understand what that is. And again, we need to provide that education and, and reach out because I want to see every single community across New York State opt back in. Yeah, Mike, you know what would be a, a good thing, and I was thinking about this because we talked about this yesterday, last night. See what's happening in the card uh, RFI. Um, from what I'm hearing, like these are going to be flagship stores, right? And flagship store means like communal buildings. Um, so I, I was hearing, at least in the Buffalo aspect, that's a little bit more where I'm tapped into. They were looking at spots with like a coffee shop in it, other types of businesses surrounding it. So if I were you, I would reach out and see which locations um, CBRE is looking at in Syracuse and see if these are around things. Um, so when you talk to your localities, find out, you know, uh, how many dispensaries, like, I mean, from what I'm understanding, it's, if there's 150 dispensaries, there's going to be 50 in Manhattan, 50 in Outer Boroughs, and 50 in Upstate. And if those 50 in Upstate, and there's two going to Syracuse, look and see where there are, they already have those locations that they've planned out. So go and look and see where they're looking at. And if there's, you know, two businesses in a plaza, you know, that's that mixed use component. It might not be residential, but if it has like commercial with uh, segue uh, different businesses in it, that would be different than standalone. So you'd at least get a little bit of, a, of an idea on the dispensary aspect of that. I mean, obviously it's not on-site, but it's close and they're not gonna be that different for uh, dispensaries and on-site other than some clean air, I think, issues. Um, so maybe two stories might be a problem or, or things like that, but uh, I would definitely check. It's like a 17 page RFI. Uh, to look and to see what they're looking at. Well, I really appreciate that question because, you know, as, as a business owner, I can't say how important it is to know whatever business you're in, like what are the regulations? Because some, there was actually a young man in, um, in Michigan, you know, they, they have their uh, laws and regulations there, but because he, you know, they have adult use, he felt like he could have a, um, a, like a soda machine on the side of his house. And for like two years, <laughs> he was selling. He didn't even have to come out of his house anymore. 
It's he amazing. was selling like weed out of the uh, out of the soda machine. Yeah, you heard about that. Out of the soda genius. machine. Genius. Genius. Well, of course, he finally got busted because it's like, yes, it's legal, but you can't have it. You know, so it's important that we ask these questions so that we can, you know, stay safe, keep our community safe, our family safe, and come home every night. And I, I think that brings up such a good point. And a huge issue I see in this industry is informational asymmetry. So that, that's this idea that you have a disparity between negotiating parties in terms of knowledge and experience and understanding. And so we have a lot of conversations about bringing legacy into legal. But what I'm realizing is that there are a lot of well-intentioned people who want to do this and they want to extend a hand, but because they don't understand the culture, they don't understand what's really going on in legacy like we've been in, they're making mistakes and they're exposing people to different liabilities and people are getting in trouble and people are losing their, their livelihoods and they're use, losing out on future opportunities and generational wealth because of that screw up right from the beginning because those people who, again, well-intentioned, want to lend that hand, don't fully understand the complexities of the situation. So, you know, again, that, that goes to when you're talking to people and, and they want to help, make sure that you're finding out how to protect yourself at the same time. That's something where a lawyer can come in to help, but there are a lot of organizations that are also doing this work, and people who are lawyers and you don't have to hire them, they'll just pick up the phone and answer a quick question if you got one, so I've done that. Uh, it, we really need to figure out how we're going to build that informational symmetry. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm excited because the questions that you're saying, three answers came out. Like to recognize that one, we need to vote. Like what I heard was, hey, you need to actually talk on a local level and on a state level so that you can actually get the regulations you want for mixed use. If you wanna be able to have something that is not just serving as one thing, you have to be able to have a voice. I also heard network. Seals are, hey brother, I see you have this already. What does this look like in a commercial space for me to exist? I also heard research, looking at what is happening so that you are not making the same mistakes. There are a lot of words and terminology that are being shared. So again, I want to acknowledge, is there something you do not know? If there is a term that you do not know, a statement, feel free to raise your hand. Feel free to let me know. We are collecting a list of words, terms that speakers, people are using that you might not know. I don't expect you to walk in here and know, this is what this means, this is what that means. I expect us to walk in with the knowledge that we have on ourselves today. And wherever we are, we're filling in the gaps with one another. So I thank you, Essential Facts, for laying the foundation. So let's give them a round of applause. Again, feel free to check out these powerhouses. These are women in cannabis who are working to make things happen. Their bios, again, are located when you scan the QR code. You are able to learn more about them. Feel free. I know they have their information. You can connect with them, contact with them, continue this conversation. We are going to take a break at 11, sorry, at 12, we will be having OCM. Christopher Alexander, the director, the executive director of OCM will be here. He will give a keynote speak. I'm a keynote address, and then after, we will have questions. Think about, hey, I don't know where I am, but I know where I need to go. 
Think about those questions because we often don't sit in rooms where we can ask those questions. So prepare yourself, get ready. We have community resources outside. Feel free to do that. I know it's hot. It's hot. Go ahead, get some air, get some water, enjoy yourselves, and we look forward to coming back. Thank you all.